Friday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys here for the final show of the week. Good one coming up. Phil Miller from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk Twins offseason to talk start of spring training. Yes, my goodness. It's only a couple, a little more than two weeks away that pitchers and catchers will report to Florida. And so figured I'd engage Phil on some talk on not just, you know, the roster building that's happening so far, but what to watch once we get down to spring training. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more um, in future episodes of Daily Delivery as well. Um, got an interesting Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers connection that I want to share at the end of the show. And we'll get to a little bit of a wild, uh, wild update at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Interesting story this week that a lot of you have asked me about because I am one of the de facto um, go-to sources for uh, writing about TV sports in this market, and I've been following closely along with the Bally Sports, um, you know, owned by the Sinclair Parent Group. Um, that whole saga over the last few years, where you know that that uh, that parent company has been having a hard time getting rights fees negotiated, and now not a surprise, but a, a report this week that uh, that. That Sinclair that that uh, that they are going to be declaring bankruptcy. The Diamond Sports is going to. This is from a Bloomberg report on Wednesday that they're going to skip a debt payment in mid-February as part of a preparation for a Chapter 11 bankruptcy restructuring. Um, NextTV.com had a good kind of summary of all of this, basically saying, um, you know, basically basically saying. That there's kind of a, a couple different options on the table. Nothing has happened yet, so that's a, a good thing to know as you think about this. But that uh, that the bankruptcy seems to be the most likely option, and that's the sense I got from uh, from just kind of poking around this story the last couple days as well with some people who know uh, know who are in the know. Let me just say, and so you know, thinking about that, gotta think about you know what does what does this mean if if Diamond Sports. It, you know, Sinclair, parent company Diamond Sports, if they declare bankruptcy, what does that mean for, you know, for the future of how sports are, you know, put on TV, things like that, how, you know, how local teams are impacted? Because like we've talked about plenty, um, the Twins, the Timberwolves, the, you know, the Wild, um, you know, other teams, uh, the Lynx have quite a few games on that channel. A lot of, lot of teams are on that channel that you watch locally. What would happen if, if that channel, you know, faced a serious problem of, of you know, a, a serious financial, essentially, liquidation. And the financials are not good, by the way. It looks like the loans are in really rough shape. Um, Sinclair reported in late November that Diamond Sports has about $600 million in cash on hand, but has to pay its teams around $2, million, $2 billion this year uh, in rights fees. So that is cash on hand minus um, minus the, the amount they need to pay teams in these rights fees that they pay for the right to broadcast games sell those then to uh, to, to the you know to the rights fees carriers and make money um, that's you know that's a big a big gap 585 million in cash 2 billion in um, in in money that they owe in 2023 so that's a big question what what happens next now it's pretty interesting a lot of you guys had questions when I posed this on Twitter as to what happens next so here, here's kind of my my best kind of my best uh, not even guess really here, here's kind of how it could play out I think a lot of teams are preparing contingencies right now and I think the twins offer the most 
fascinating test case. I didn't like go into any specifics with any one team when I was kind of poking around at this, but I do feel like the Twins are the most interesting, A, because their season is coming up in two months, B, because they have been, I think, the most outwardly frustrated with Sinclair, with Diamond Sports, with the inability to get their games on, you know, on these streaming apps like, you know, Hulu TV, YouTube TV have all dropped Bally Sports North in recent years. And even though Bally launched this uh, direct-to-consumer app um, a few months ago, um, Major League Baseball, by and large, still does not have widespread rights fees on that. And it is my understanding that the Twins are not yet on the Bally app. So if you've bought that Bally app um, and you're paying the month-to-month and you're paying the year, you don't have you don't yet have access to the Twins. That could change in the next couple months. But anyway, that's a different story. That's that's the app. It's it's obviously not <clears throat> making up enough of the difference in lost revenue from some of these other streams that they've lost. Some of this, uh, you know, basically they've been in trouble ever since they bought these uh, these RSNs in 2019. They bought them for way too much, like ten billion dollars. And ever since then, the industry has just been changing so much that the, it, it looked like a bad deal from the beginning, and now it's finally coming to a head. But you know, a team like the Twins, let's say, you know. Let's let's just say where they're at right now, and I think they're probably in kind of a wait and see mode, just like all these other teams are checking, waiting to see what this you know potential bankruptcy. And it hasn't happened yet. Bankruptcy has not happened yet. The report on Bloomberg suggesting that is the most likely outcome that it could happen by say mid February. But let, let's say you're the Twins. You got to prepare for all scenarios, whatever comes out of bankruptcy. Now, one of the things that could come out is that it kind of gets strung along and things are kind of business as usual at least for a while. And that would be pretty good for a team like the Twins. They get north of forty million dollars every year from their local from the, from these rights fees from you know from from Bally Sports North from letting Bally Sports North show their games. Um, but this is the last year of a twelve-year deal that they are on right now, and it, it you know I don't think they've been shy about saying they are they, they would like to explore every option available um, to to perhaps go go a different route in twenty twenty four. Now maybe. This you know this this kind of talk right now might hasten some of their planning or thinking and thinking of you know, how fast they need to be thinking about an alternative solution. But I would say that uh, you know that that the Twins are in a better position than a lot of other than a lot of other Major League Baseball teams, for instance, that might have longer contracts with Bally's and say if those got severed right away, it, say say bankruptcy forced the uh, the breaking of these contracts and suddenly the teams are like, well, what's going what's going to happen next? At least the Twins know that they're kind of been planning for something like this or, or planning at least I think for a future maybe without Bally since their contract is up after this season and there has been that frustration so you know my my sense is nothing is imminent nothing's going to change tonight or tomorrow but that the hope you know with with all these teams with the Timberwolves the Twins the Wild any team that's been kind of mired in the muck with you know with with this whole situation over these last few years that there's a better model that can emerge that allows teams to maintain revenue while improving access and service to fans. And what I can imagine, what I've kind of read about, is some sort of kind of you know, combination of direct distribution to these, uh, you know, anybody who care who currently carries these games like DirecTV, Comcast. Um, essentially, Bally's is acting as essentially, you know, Sinclair acts as a Diamond Sports is like a middleman essentially between the Twins and all of these, you know, Twins, Wild, Timberwolves. They act as a, as a middleman essentially between those teams and you know the 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 people who are putting the games on the the the, the carriers actually the, the streaming carriers the cable providers things like that what if 
there wasn't that middleman and you could you know these days you don't necessarily need that middleman back probably back in the day before there was all these streaming options maybe you did but um but right now with everything so digital everything going that way you probably don't need that you could sell directly to all of these distributors and have a direct consumer app option as well so that is probably the future i can imagine for you know it might look different in various leagues but i kind of imagine that this is maybe um the the first sign that this is not going to be the long-term model um and that this is going to be you know bankruptcy obviously is a big deal it's, it's a financial restructuring but that this is kind of one step in the process of disentangling the way you get sports and that if you know if this ends up being a good thing in the long run and you get a better option for how you watch all these teams it's you know the 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 amount of money you're having to pay is reasonable. If the teams are still satisfied with how much money they're taking in, that it could be a good thing in the in the long run. In the short run, still a lot of questions. I think people are still in the wait and see mode. But you got to remember too, it's all part of the evolution, right? There's been a lot of different iterations of how you get sports on TV. This might just be the next one. And you know what's really fueling it, like I said, is that Sinclair, this whole group that that, that made this purchase four years ago. It was just not a good business idea then, and it looks like an even worse business idea right now. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It is good to have Phil Miller back on Daily Delivery, little twins baseball talk. It's getting to, it, it doesn't seem like it should be that time of year necessarily, Phil, but here we are in late January. It's Twins Fest time. Pitchers and catchers only, you know, a little over two weeks away from reporting, so camp around the corner i want to get your thoughts on this off season so far which really seemed like it pivoted around obviously the carlos correa and the un- unexpected signing of carlos correa after that drama um, maybe get into a little hall of fame talk with you as well but uh first off phil how you doing how's your off season uh very brief it seems like it is, it it is funny you know i'll bet uh a lot of uh players are already in fort myers they tend to start uh arriving at the end of January, uh, uh, start of February. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I always think of, of the diamond awards and twins fest as the, uh, official start of the twin season. So, uh, happy opening day. Happy opening day to you as well. I mean, like you said, it's been, it's been quite an off season so far. I don't think I've talked to you, um, for the show or otherwise since the Carlos Correa, saga unfolded in the manner that it did um what do you what do you make of of all of that and and where the twins wound up with him you know getting him on that six-year deal for 200 million dollars that could become longer and even more pricey uh if he does hit some certain incentive thresholds i think it's crazy that uh twice in uh in 10 months carlos correa absolutely fell into their lap uh with very little uh, to do with them uh, either time. Uh, and I'm really interested in how that has uh, changed uh, maybe their goals for the year, maybe the the 
uh, path of the franchise, if they didn't have Carlos Correa, would they have made the Louis Arise trade? Would it, it, it makes it feel like uh, they're going for it now. I mean, they've got a lot invested. They're, uh, they're uh, not backing off. They're not uh, uh, rebuilding. They're uh, going for it now. And uh, I think uh, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting path that they're uh, suddenly on because uh, until three weeks ago, I don't think they seriously thought it could happen. So uh I, I don't know that that signing may have been uh, more historic for this franchise than uh, than we even realized at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was like <laughs> we know the we know it all by now. We we've talked it through a bunch of times already on this show, and you've written you've written about it so many times. But I mean, it just twice it seemed like it was you know big market teams, much larger contracts, and then. Um, ultimately the, the, the medical stuff scares both the giants and Mets away enough twins feel at least comfortable enough. And I do, you know, the more you think about it, the more you examine it, um, you know, six years is certainly not 12 or 13. So it's, it's a much, um, smaller risk in terms of duration of time. That said, it still does, it still has to make you at least a little bit nervous if you're the twins to, you know, be out there for that long with that much money you know, a market unlike especially the Mets that just can't really afford to have a deal like this go awry and have a have a guy, you know, if, you know, hopefully he stays healthy. But if he doesn't, uh, you know, that could become something that gets it affects future years, obviously, to come for them as well. Yeah, although I don't think it's as big a uh, risk as uh, as people make out. I mean, uh, you know, 10 years, 12 years, that is a, a lot um more, uh, uh, a lot bigger, uh, uh, amount to cover, but, uh, I, I wrote about this last week. It's pretty clear that it's not, um, it didn't come as a complete surprise to Carlos Correa. Um, he is very careful on the base paths, which is where the injury occurred. Um, and it's, uh, it's striking when you know this and look at it, uh, in the last six years, he has, uh, he has attempted eight stolen bases in six years. He's a, he's not a slow guy. Um, you know, he's not a, a big base stealer anyway, but he doesn't try. And I asked him about it in April and he said, it's because I don't want to get injured. It's because the risk of being injured on the bases is more than uh, one base is worth. And I, I wrote that at the time and I thought, hey, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in a, in a broad way, although that is very narrowly defining um, the circumstances where it, there are times where it might be helpful. But after the season, uh, uh, you come to realize it it's more than just, I don't want to break a finger or something. It's, you know, he has an ankle injury that could flare up. I, I One thing I think we learned from the Mets and Giants is there's something there. Um, it's, it's not a zero risk, but it's clearly a risk that Carlos has been managing all these years. Uh, the other thing is, uh, he doesn't triple either. He's had five triples in the last, um, uh, in the last six years. That's, uh, that's like fifth fewest among players that have played as much as he has. Um, 
so he doesn't extend himself on the bases. He doesn't take unnecessary risk. He is aware of what could happen and tries to manage it on the field. And he is still uh, one of the 20 best players in the league. Uh, probably, uh, you know, probably the best or second best player on the Twins. Um, so they have to have some uh, confidence that he knows what he's doing. He's he's gotten this far with it, and uh, you know, after six years, then age starts to maybe uh, come into the picture, and they're protected after that. Right. So, um, I, I was really struck by um, by the evidence that uh, he knows it and knows how to manage it, and he's never had a, a repeat of that injury since uh, since he got to the big leagues. Well, that's a good point. I mean, in, in someone who's as smart as he is and doesn't necessarily need to take those risks to be an effective player, you can definitely see how this will this will and can work out. Um, you made an interesting point before before we got too deep on Correa in that, you know, how much did his signing then influence the ability to trade Luis Arias? I mean, Arias is not a shortstop, obviously, but he you know, can play second base, first base. They've had him over at third uh, from time to time, although I don't think that's his most effective position. But you, you you add someone for six years who's going to be an infielder and, you know, a mainstay in the lineup, does that give you a little bit more license then to to trade Luis Arise for what you maybe identify as a bigger need of, uh, of pitching? Uh, I mean, whatever you – how much do you think those two things are, are correlated versus how much do you think they were – looking to, you know, knew they had a position of strength with or are dealing from a spot where a rise value was high and could use that to get something that they thought they needed, regardless of Correa. Well, it's, it's certainly true that it, it's hard to imagine Luis Arise's value ever being greater than it is now. The fact that it gets you uh, a uh, middle to upper uh, uh, end of the rotation starter and a prospect is uh, a good indication of just how uh, expensive pitching is these days. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but without Carlos Correa, they were going to go into the season with Kyle Farmer as the shortstop, with uh, Jose Miranda as the third baseman. And uh, I, I think it would have been uh, more kind of a let's see how, what the kids can do. Let's. Uh, you know, hopefully Royce Lewis comes back at midseason. Maybe Brooks Lee uh, fits in here by the end. Uh, and, you know, the pitching staff, you know, it's uh, it, it should be better, but is it good enough to uh, win a division? Uh, a lot of that would ride on the young guys coming up, on Louis Varland and Simeon Woods-Richardson and, uh, you know, Bailey Ober. And, uh, you know, instead I think uh, it – cause them to think, you know, especially I'm, I'm sure Carlos uh, leads this charge, is he's here, the lineup is going to be uh, better, it's uh, it's going to be arguably good enough to win the division, you know, they, they led the division on September 4th last year, so there's history there, and let's Let's do what we can to uh, to strengthen the pitching staff, which is which was uh, you know devastated by uh, the injuries that really devastated the whole team last year, and uh, make sure we have more depth. I I I wonder if they would have made the trade without uh, Carlos signing back. Um, maybe you uh, you ride with uh, Louis Arise and try to find him a position and let 
some of the younger pitchers uh, get by. But, uh, you know, as long as Carlos Correa is around, I, you know, they're kind of committed to, uh, to trying to win the division, trying to somehow, some way win a playoff game. Somehow, some way win a playoff game. Well, that's well, well said and well documented. It's been 18 in a row that they have lost going all the way back to 2004 in Yankee Stadium, I might add, since they won a uh, since they won a playoff game. Um, what about the, you know, it, it did strike me, the, these moves that they've made, you know, the Arise trade, the um, dealing for Michael A. Taylor, who's an excellent defensive outfielder, maybe a little Buxton insurance there, but even if Buxton is, when, when Buxton is healthy and playing center field, gives you some pretty good options in the outfield. Joey Gallo is a good outfielder as well. He's won, he's been way up there in the defensive runs saved. You look at the infield with Correa and Polanco kind of anchoring up the middle. You sign Christian Vasquez. You've made a lot of investments in pitching, which you wrote about a lot of the trades lately have been for starting pitching. This is a team that really does seem to be, you know, kind of modeling itself around a, a strength of you know, I suppose they feel good about their lineup, but the moves they've made have been largely to solidify pitching and defense. That seems like the identity if they're going to be good this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I as kind of an aside to this, I wonder how frustrating it is to be a front office, uh, to be an executive in a baseball uh, front office and not know year to year what kind of baseballs you're going to use because uh, the ones that they used four years now in 2018, it completely changed the way teams played. Uh, it, it, you know, the Twins were hitting two homers a game uh, minimum, uh, and you, uh, the way you won was by uh, bashing your opponents and hitting more home runs. Uh, the the uh, way that the game is played now has has changed in just three years, and uh, home runs are harder to come by. A lot of balls uh, fly. Uh, a lot of balls that would have been home runs seem to be dying on the on the track. It's a factor that uh, baseball only kind of sort of acknowledges is happening, but it's pretty obvious that it's happening on the field. And so the Twins have pivoted, uh, probably uh, pitching in defense probably uh, is a good starting point, uh, good fundamental uh, way to start to build a team. But, uh, you know, if they're using the, uh, the Bash Brothers uh, baseball again this year, you know, the Twins might have uh, a little more trouble uh, competing, although they they do have uh, they do have some home run hitters in that lineup. Um, and it would have made, uh, you know, that's one thing. Uh, the way the game is played now, Louis Arise might have had a little more value. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that factored into consideration. They are uh, going with a uh, – their outfield defense should be uh, either best in the league or close to it. Um, that is unless they decide that they need to, uh, beef up some of the hitting, you know, we don't know how much Michael Taylor will play, although, uh, you know, fun fact, what outfielder, uh, played the most games, uh, in center field for the twins last year. It was, uh, I think in any position uh, in the outfield, it was, uh, Gilberto Celestino. So, um, Michael Taylor is an upgrade on that yeah. while, uh, Celestino gets a little more, uh, seasoning. Um, so it, the depth is a necessary uh, part of this. The infield defense um, could be very good. Uh, it, we'll see how 
Jose Miranda uh, does as an everyday second baseman, but they feel good up the middle with Polanco and Correa. So uh, it's a it's a new model, uh, and it is amazing how much to me it's amazing how much they've changed in uh, just three years. In uh, they've completely changed the starting rotation, and they have uh, gone from a uh, home run hitting lineup to a uh, let's, uh, let's score what we need to and uh, and emphasize preventing runs more. A couple more things for you, Phil, before I get to a Joe Maurer question for you, I want to, you know, like I said, camp is only a couple of weeks away. It feels impossible with how cold it is right now, but it is warm in other parts of the country. They will travel there to Florida and begin preparation for this season very soon. Um, You know, still possible moves to be made before then, but kind of with with what we know about the roster right now, with what we know about the philosophy right now, what are you know maybe two or three things that you're looking for when you get down there in terms of things that still need to be sorted out, whether it's you know an overall you know pitching situation, whether it's a, a positional battle, or whatever it is that you are curious to see once things uh, once once they get on the field in Florida. Health, 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 health. Uh, I mean, this is a team that uh, was absolutely <laughs> yeah. wrecked. By the worst uh, rash of injuries uh, I've uh, I've seen in my uh, 15 years uh, around them, um, you know how are the guys that uh, that missed so much time last year? You know they got three or four that had surgery. Uh, you know Kenta Maeda uh, is was an important part of the rotation. How is he? You know he's 35 now. Um, uh, you know. Um, Kirilov is a is a Alex Kirilov is a really big question because uh, uh, you know they had him projected as a number three hitter uh, when uh, all the wrist injuries started a couple of years ago. Um, he's also an important uh, part about about the lineup. Is he going to be an outfielder? Is he going to play first base? Is 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 he able to hit? That's uh, the reports have been encouraging but they were encouraging last year too and uh and the injury uh uh came back and bothered him again um that that's uh that's the big thing um i I think uh you know they've uh, got a new training new uh, head trainer a couple of new assistants and and um both mostly just see how is byron buxton how is uh max kepler how is jorge polanco Arise was going to be on that list too, but they don't have to worry about that. But uh, there's there's at least ten <laughs> or more uh, players that that you want to see. Are they going to be healthy, and how confident are they that they can stay healthy this year? Maybe that's a good segue into the Joe Maurer discussion because health was such a big factor Ooh. in the back half of his career, forcing a position change, you know, limiting his effectiveness in the final, you know five or so years of his career, he will be eligible for the Hall of Fame on the next go-around. We just learned that Scott Rowland has made it in, newly eligible next year, the likes of Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer, among others. Um, Hall of Fame question for you, is is Joe Maurer a Hall of Famer? And if so, how long to you does it take him? I'm, I'm still not sure he is. Um, even though I know the credentials and the, you know, the seven year, you know, ec- run of excellence that they always point to would suggest he is, I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sold just because of 
it came up a couple years short, maybe of how long you'd like to see it go. And he didn't really have any postseason success, but I want to know what you think in terms of his credentials. Well, I understand those, uh, ideas, but, uh, I, I, I think, uh, on the list of all time, great offensive catchers who combined offense and defense, uh, Joe is going to uh, rank pretty high. I think I do think it eventually gets him in. Uh, probably not first ballot, but uh, you know the way guys get in anymore, it's uh, you know get uh, a third of the votes uh, the first year and uh, and then start climbing. Uh, um, that's uh, um, it's an unusual uh, circumstance of how uh, Hall of Fame votes seem to go. Um, and I don't know. I, I, the uh, you, you look at Joe's uh, stat page, and it's just amazing how many uh, how great he was in the first decade. Uh, you know, he was a he was a no doubter uh, until he got hurt and uh, the concussions took their toll. Um, you, you know, uh, it's it's one of those questions where uh, Albert Pujols faced some of this too. Uh, is it better to uh, retire and not have uh, the the glide path to uh, the end of your career. Is it uh, is it better not to have seasons where you weren't as good and leave those uh, uh, memories in in uh, voters' minds? Uh, I don't know. I the one thing I will say is I have been surprised and uh, somewhat disappointed by how twins have done uh, in the Hall of Fame voting. Not not to say that. Uh, Johan Santana and uh, Joe Nathan and Torrey Hunter should all go to the Hall of Fame. But uh, um, Santana and Nathan got one year and fell off the ballot. And uh, I was I was a little surprised at that because uh, I thought they deserved uh, more of a hearing. Uh, um, and so I I'll be interested to see. I think Joe will fare a lot better and I'll bet he gets uh, more than a third of the votes next year. Um, I actually changed, uh, I have a vote and I changed my, uh, strategy of voting. I've never been a strategic voter before, but I voted for some guys, uh, Tory among them just cause I wanted them to stay on the ballot. And I, I, uh, it feels like it is getting, uh, almost too hard for, uh, uh, players to make the hall of fame. Uh, 75% is a high standard. And I know that, uh, that's intentional. Um, but, uh, I, I voted for a, a few more guys than, uh, I normally would just to, uh, just to help them, uh, stay on the ballot and, uh, and move up and, uh, give them a little more of a hearing. It's, uh, it's, it's strange. It seemed like such a binary choice. Is this guy a hall of famer or not? Uh, but it doesn't seem to work that way for right. a lot of voters. So I would say, uh, I would say it should be pretty exciting now that Joe's going to be on the ballot. And I'd say about three years from now, uh, we might have to go to Cooperstown. That'd be fun. Um, I, I think you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're, uh, maybe we're thinking along the same lines, but you're, you're expecting a more, uh, robust, um, ascent for him. I can still see it happening. I just, it's hard for me to know exactly how outside everybody outside the twin cities feels about him because, you know, inside there's still some, division but uh, i would say uh, i would say he his run of excellence was undisputed just don't know if that'll be long enough if people's memories um, can go back that far and not focus too much on 
you know, the four or five years that he had to have to finish his career because of those injuries. But we'll see conversation um, for to be continued for another day. Exciting time for the twins getting ready to get onto the field here in a couple of weeks. Phil Miller and Megan Ryan will be uh, covering that extensively as were a lot of our columnists, I'm sure. Phil, enjoyed catching up with you as always and uh, enjoy the rest of this uh, sh- increasingly shrinking off season. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's a, it's opening day. The off season's over. Always good to catch up with Phil. This Joe Maurer question will be fascinating as next year approaches. I'll, I'll be really curious to see what kind of first year voting totals he puts up. And a lot of times that is a predictor as to whether someone will eventually get in. I think Phil's a lot more bullish on Joe's chances than I am. But you know what? Maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm underrating just how great he was recency bias creeping in for me so I guess the long story short there is let's wait and see for a year and see where Joe falls on that spectrum let's finish with the cooler a couple quick things one the wild 3-2 win over Philadelphia a lot of fights in that game last night and that beautiful Matt's Zuccarello goal in overtime you know beat a defender chip the puck right over the goalie on kind of a partial breakaway beautiful beautiful play wild needed that one after three losses in a row they get back on the right side of the winning uh, the winning streak and uh, and get to get themselves a little bit of momentum going into uh, pretty soon coming into a break here and conspiracy theorists unite the Jets are hiring Nathaniel Hackett as their offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett you might remember was the failed Broncos head coach from this past year did not even make it a year with Denver however. Nathaniel Hackett also was Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator in Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back MVP awards in 2020 and 2021. Could Nathaniel Hackett's hiring in New York be a signal that Aaron Rodgers could be headed to the Jets? Who knows? Who knows? It's fun to speculate on stuff like that. I have no idea if there's any connection or if they just thought he was the best person for the job. But it is fun to speculate and it is fun to think about, wow, the parallels between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Now, you might recall that when Brett Favre finally got tired of Green Bay and and Green Bay got tired of Brett Favre, the place they shipped him to was the Jets. You might also remember that was only for one year and that after that one year, Brett Favre wound up with the Vikings. Is that Aaron Rodgers' path? Oh, man, it's fun to think about. I don't know about that. I don't know what will ultimately be the uh, ultimately wind up happening here. Maybe maybe Rogers stays with Green Bay, and this is all just fun speculation. But it is fun speculation nonetheless. And we will see what what if anything the Nathaniel Hackett hiring means to Aaron Rodgers. And that will do it for me this week. Thanks for listening along all week long. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again Monday with Roycey on Daily Delivery.